So hi everyone, I am Georgia Gerard, guest hosting the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention Podcast today. Uh, we have Dr. Clyde Angel will be joining us. He is the Chief of Chaplain Service at the Richard L. Rudabush VA in Indianapolis, and he's also the National Coordinator for the Warrior to Soulmate Program, and today we'll be discussing this program. Thank you for joining us today, Clyde. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the Warrior to Soulmate Program? Sure, Georgia. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, so I'll tell you a little bit of myself. You already mentioned that I am the chief chaplain here at the Indianapolis VA Medical Center. I've been here at Indianapolis almost 10 years. Prior to that, I was the uh, staff chaplain, actually a mental health chaplain, uh, at the uh, Atlanta, Georgia VA Medical Center. Prior to that, uh, I was in private practice. Uh, I'm also, besides a board-certified chaplain, I'm a licensed professional counselor also. So I did private practice for a while and then was in the local church pastor for about 27 years. Uh, married, got six children, uh, seven grandbabies, and one on the way. That's really exciting, and you've had quite the long career so far. Um, yeah. How long have you been involved with the Warrior to Soulmate program, and and how did that? How did you start getting involved in that program? So I have been involved in the program since um, the spring of 2010, and uh, that's when I first was introduced to it out in San Diego, California. And I'll tell you a little more about the background of that here in a moment. Uh, but I got involved then, went out for the training, uh, just was really inspired. Uh, with how this would uh, interact and help our veterans. Um, came back to Indianapolis, actually wrote for a uh, Plain Tree grant through the Office of Patient-Centered Care to train what was then VISN 11, uh, which no longer exists. Uh, it's all VISN 10, but uh, I got grant money to train uh, facilitators all through VISN 11. Uh, and so that's when we really got into it in earnest. Uh, so our program here started uh, at Indianapolis in 2011. Before it started at Indianapolis, was um, 2010, was that when the program started in California, or, or was it around prior to that? It was actually prior to that. So I'll give you a real brief history. Um, the program found its roots originally in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, there was a chaplain there, Chaplain Ron Craddock, was a retired Navy chaplain, and he began to see just the need uh, of men and women coming out of the military from deployment who really needed some type of, of couples counseling, couples work. And he did his research and he found a um, company down in, down in Florida, Miami, Florida area, and uh, called PAIRS. And PAIRS stands for Practical Application of Intimate Relationship Skills. And so he talked to uh, Seth Eisenberg, who is the CEO of, of the Pairs, and kind of told him his situation. And Pairs actually came to Sandy or to uh, Augusta, Georgia, and trained Ron and another social worker, another chaplain, a couple other folks, um, and actually did it on their dime, uh, which was really pretty impressive. And so that's how it got started. And Ron started doing retreats in Augusta, Georgia. Um, and then in 2009, <clears throat> there was a chief chaplain uh, conference, and uh, Ron had gotten the best practice for, for this work in Georgia, and he showed a film. And in the film, they had a veteran who had attended uh, one of the weekend workshops, 
And that veteran literally said, this program not only saved my relationship, it saved my life. And he talked about, you know, how he was, you know, on, on the verge of considering suicide. And that just so inspired uh, the chief chaplain out at San Diego, uh, Dick Millspaw, who's now retired also. Um, and Dick was just so inspired by that, he actually wrote a plain tree grant through the Office of Patient-Centered Care and got quite a large grant, and he conducted the first major training at San Diego uh, in the spring of 2010. And I think there were about 80 VA professionals. There was psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, chaplains. There were just a, just a whole group of people who came out there and, and had the initial training. And then the next year, um, Dick at San Diego did another training with about the same number. I did a training with about the same number here in Indianapolis, Mid-America, and then out in Hampton, Virginia, uh, there was a training there with about 80 professionals. So that was really when it, it began to to take form and move forward. Well, yeah, that program's been definitely been around for a long time, and for those of us who may not know, um, would you kind of describe a little bit about, you know, what this program looks like? You know, it seems like a lot of chaplains are involved in it, in it but maybe, you know, what other providers can deliver it, kind of what the formatting of it, and, and kind of like the skills people learn? Sure. Um, yeah, and it actually is a collaboration. This isn't something that chaplains can really do by themselves, um, although in, the, in some places chaplains take the lead. Other places mental health and social work have been taking the lead. Uh, so our concern is just whoever you know wants to champion this is who we're looking for. But typically in in the trainings that I do now, facilitators, um, it is chaplains, social workers, and, and typically uh, psychologists uh, are the folks who who are most often becoming part of the program, and we kind of form a collaboration. So. The Warrior Soulmate program is actually the programmatic part for the VA, and it's supported by the PARIS curriculum. The PARIS curriculum has actually been here since um, the 1980s. It originally was developed, uh, the curriculum itself was developed by Lori Gordon. Uh, Lori was a uh, LCSW therapist out in um, Virginia, and she taught at a, a local college, and actually her and Virginia Satir were good friends. Uh, and she developed a semester-long course that she taught to therapists. Um, and at one point finally decided, you know, I can teach this to couples. And so she began teaching it to, to couples. And later uh, her son, Seth Eisenberg, came along and he really packaged it in into the program. It's about a nine-hour program that we deliver, and that's that's what we use. We use this this nine-hour program um, that addresses many aspects uh, of communication. Um, how how in depth would you like me to to talk about that? We'll probably be getting into a little bit more of what's in the content of the program. You know, as we get through this podcast, but if there's maybe an example that you could give of a communication skill that people would work on or maybe what a typical day might look like during this program. Yeah. So, so yeah, let me back up a little. I'll tell you a little bit, you said, how, how we deliver it. We deliver it, um, it it's, it's really an interactive, so there's a, a little bit of lecture, but most of the setups are only five to ten minutes, and we have couples 
um, getting in what we call leveling position, where they're sitting knee to knee, holding hands, looking each other in the eye, and um, and they begin to actually do these exercises. Um, so, like I say, the program is the actual curriculum is about nine hours. Um, here in Indianapolis, um, we use three different formats. One of the formats that's most common is we do a Friday Saturday here at the medical center. Um, we have couples come in from 9 to 5. We give them about an hour and a half for lunch each day, and we deliver the curriculum over, over two days. Uh, another format we use is what we call a retreat format, where we'll do that at a kind of a retreat center-type setting, and we'll typically start on a Friday evening and finish on Sunday afternoon. And then the other setting that we use mostly for childcare purposes, we work with local faith communities. And we have a Friday evening, typically 6 to 9, uh, finishing up at 9 to 5 on Saturday. And uh, what helps there are our faith communities will provide some uh, a dinner and lunch Friday, Saturday, and then they also provide child care. And for some of our veterans, especially those who don't have family in the area, uh, child care can usually be a, a major issue for them. And so those are the three formats. And interestingly enough, uh, it really doesn't matter uh, which format. Um, the material works in, in any one of those formats. That's really nice to hear that can be delivered in various ways, and it doesn't really change, you know, the effectiveness of it. People still get the same information and, and the same benefits from it, and, and it can kind of be adapted to the needs of the veterans in that area and the resources that are around, too. So it's really great to hear that it can be, you know, disseminated in, in all those various ways, and, and people are still getting the benefits of it. Is there anything else that you'd like to um, share about the, about the program before we move on? Well, I would just say that, it, like I say, it, it's set up with tools. Um, we really begin, it, it's interesting, the the whole intention of creating the communication is really built on um, the concept of bonding. And most people know that air, water, shelter, and safety, uh, air, water, shelter, and food are the, the four, what we call the basic needs of life, Right. And there's actually a fifth biological need that all humans have, and we all have the need to bond. And you know, there mm -hmm. has been studies around that and so forth. And so bonding is important. And so what we do is we present and help people understand to achieve bonding, there has to be emotional op openness and physical closeness. And, and so we use what we call a relationship roadmap, and we talk about how what are the barriers, and we discuss different barriers like stress styles of communication, et cetera, et cetera. Ultimate leading up to, to talking about what a healthy relationship looks like. And, and, and there's three parts to a healthy, mature adult. And the first part is I can ask for what I need. The second part is I can listen to my partner with empathy, listen to understand, and then the context. We, I can, uh, together we can meet whatever struggles and so forth and so on. So we, we first set up what the concept of, of communications and bonding and um, what it looks like to, to be a healthy adult. And then we begin, at that point, we begin to introduce tools. Uh, we do a daily temperature reading, which is a little five-part, 10 to 15 minutes a day, um, we do something called the pairs talking tips, um, which is a confiding tool where one partner is is sharing. There's and there's sentence stems all around this this kind of circle, 
And the other person is just listening, and, and they try to, to repeat what their partner said without adding anything to it, uh, any comment. It doesn't have to be verbatim, but they don't add to it. And if they repeat back in context what the person says, they'll say thank you, and then they move to the next stem. And that's, that's really an important part because probably the most difficult thing we do as humans is listen. Because most of the time, as humans, we're listening to respond rather just listening to hear and to understand. That's definitely very true. And we know that deployments and combat experience can really negatively affect relationships and marriages. And seems like a lot of these, you know, concepts of bonding and communication and, and these tools that they're learning can really help improve, um, enhance these relationships that veterans have with their intimate partners. Is there anything um, else about the program that you feel like really um, lends to that bonding and communication improvement? Well, I, I think, you know, particularly, I guess in one area that I do a lot of work in is post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, working with spiritual and moral injury. And, of course, we, those of who are familiar with post-traumatic stress, we know that emotional numbing is a huge piece uh, of that. But another huge piece is, and, and I've led lots and lots of groups, and I, one of the questions I will always ask them, uh, because I think the key spiritual wound is, is shattered trust, and I will look at veterans both in groups and one-on-one and say, who do you trust? And almost to a person, they'll say, nobody. Well, every relationship requires trust and forgiveness. If, if, if you're going to have a healthy relationship, and this is with any human, not just in an intimate partnership, but with any human, you have to have trust and forgiveness. And so here you have an individual uh, that he or she, that trust has kind of been shattered. And, and so they have to relearn, relearn that. Well, the only way to learn to be, to trust is to actually be vulnerable. The last thing someone with post-traumatic stress wants to do is be vulnerable. So what are tools really, I, and I've watched this happen, what they really help the, they put, we, first we really try to create a very safe place for the couples. And if, if, if you have one person who's willing to confide and the other person who's willing to listen with empathy, that actually creates um, the love, the intimacy. To confide mm-hmm. means to be what? To be vulnerable, right? Exactly, yeah. Especially That's, if we're confiding on an emotional level. Yeah, and we definitely know, especially with, you know, veterans who do have PTSD, that's very a very difficult thing to do. And it definitely seems like this space that you create gives the perfect environment for that to be vulnerable, to be able to work on those communication skills and, and bonding and things like that. Yeah, and I think part of the safe place, too, is um, – you know, when when they first start practicing these tools, we'll always tell them, you know, take take a number one issue, don't take a number ten issue, don't take a nuclear issue. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's talk on something simple like, why don't you pick your underwear up in the morning? You know, let's. Uh, of course, for some that could be nuclear. I'm not going to define everybody's relationship here, but you know, take something simple and and you know maybe a little issue that's causing uh, some significant pain in the relationship, but it isn't. You know, it isn't just you know, intense. And so mm-hmm. what it does, 
is first of all, I think there's confidence because we're there to help coach them through, and we don't get in the mm-hmm. midst of their of their issues. We just coach them to use the tool appropriately, and and what they do is they use these tools and they start opening up, and it gives them success. And you know, there's nothing like success uh, to, to to promote uh, growth. And so they actually, as they go along with these different tools that we use. Um, all the way up to the very last tool we teach is about emotional allergies. How how my behavior, something that I do, may may trigger something in my partner, then they do something that triggers me. And so that's you know everything we do is building up to some of these later tools um, that really help them get at some of the more difficult issues. Mm-hmm. And I um, I heard you say that you kind of help help coach them to use the tools. So would you consider this program? Like a therapeutic intervention, more psychoeducation. What would you what would you consider this program to be? So we bill it as a psychoeducational, and this is you know we we stick with uh, <clears throat> how Paris has, has set this up, and they they say you know they make an issue that it that it is psychoeducational, it isn't therapeutic. Although I think <clears throat> anytime you have people working together, it, is it therapeutic? Yes, and you know we're VA mm-hmm. professionals and. Um, I think there's often opportunities for us to talk about. Uh, sometimes we'll get into the post-traumatic stress a little bit in some of the open discussions, and 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 of course we also, uh, particularly here at Indianapolis, we have a family support center under Chaplain Services, and have marriage and family therapists and marriage and family therapy interns here. So we also encourage them. If you know, sometimes couples have, we, we maybe help them make some connection uh, to renew mm-hmm. some of that bonding and connection. But sometimes they come in with difficult problems around finance or if there's been infidelity or, or whatever, and they really need more support and guidance. And so we're also always encouraging them to to come and, and, and be a part of the Family Counseling Center and do some individual couples work. And the other way around is most couples who sign up for couples work, we encourage them to do the workshop so that we can then use those tools. So we try to get them involved on uh, um, both aspects, um, but it really is billed as psychoeducational. Uh, but I, I do believe, and the results show that it has a, a therapeutic benefit. So sometimes, you know, when people are dealing with some stressors um, in their relationships or just in their personal life that can carry over to their relationships, um, you know, intimate partner violence can come up. So how do you think that the Word Soulmate program addresses intimate partner violence if it does occur or it does come up during the retreats or workshops? And, and in addition to that, how do you think that this program might be proactive in preventing that? Actually, that's a really good question. So we actually have a uh, a couple of slides uh, in the presentation right up front that we basically say this program isn't designed for people who are currently experiencing interpersonal inter, uh, violence or intimate partner violence. Um, and, and you can kind of understand because we're really helping people to be vulnerable, to confide, to let down. And if there is currently partner violence going on, then you know we say that this prob- probably isn't appropriate for them at this time. Uh, we also put up the uh, numbers for them to call uh, intimate partner violence hotlines and so forth and so on. Now, with that said, uh, occasionally a couple will come and say, you know, there has been, but, you know, we, we've worked through that, we've gotten help, 
then that's probably not, you know, we wouldn't make that an issue one way or the other. We would let them stay and monitor that and follow up with them um, a little more closely. Uh, the, there is actually an intimate partner violence program uh, currently in the VA, and uh, uh, the person who leads that, uh, we've actually, myself and one of the psychologists up in Cleveland, um, have done a uh, kind of similar to this, more of a, um, a SharePoint type of lecture or a, um, online computer lecture. Um, and with the uh, intimate partner violence folks throughout the VA, uh, they really like this. And, and it's more what they're seeing, it, and I agree with them, is how we promote it as a preventative. So people who maybe are, are identifying uh, on the edge uh, that it hasn't maybe developed into a full intimate partner violence by diagnosis, but that are struggling, uh, maybe have made contact with the folks in IVP, IPV, um, that we can hopefully get them in this program early um, to, to help avoid that. Um, we actually have an exercise um, that I think is, is really a great exercise that we introduce um, during the workshop. It's called Emptying the Emotional Jug. And uh, it, it's just really a neat, it's a, it's a neat tool um, because it's very simple to use. One partner is is the prompter, and the other partner uh, is just sharing what they're feeling as they're being prompt. And basically, it just goes through four parts. The first part is, what are you angry about? And you just let the partner begin to talk about what, what they're angry about. Um, and as they continue to share, you know, they may say, well, I'm angry, you know, because my boss has been really putting a lot of stress. They'll say, what else are you angry about? And they just keep doing that to the point mm -hmm. that it finally comes, and they say, well, if you were angry about anything else, what might it be? And they'll say, well, there's not anything or, or whatever. They'll say, thank you. Then they move to the next one and says, what are you scared about? And they start sharing what, what scares them, and they go through that same process. And then the next one is, what are you sad about? And they just do the same thing. They talk about things that make have made them sad or they're, how they're feeling sad. And then the last one is, what are you glad about? And it's really amazing to watch people go through this. And often I found with in, in, in the feedback from veteran couples, it's when, when the veteran particularly gets to what are you sad about, that often the partner begins to find out things that they didn't know. Uh, when they get down to that sad. And uh, we just find that as a very powerful tool. It's a kind of a PRN type thing. You just use it whenever you, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed emotionally, and you can just simply ask your partner. Uh, and I think if people were emptying the emotional jug when they needed to, um, it would probably prevent uh, some of the, the violence um, that we see in, in relationships. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Like sometimes intimate partner violence can be a result of um, not being able to communicate kind of the emotions that you're feeling, and it comes out in you know physical ways in, in anger like that. So I think I think that's a really powerful tool, and I also think it really helps people. Um, you know, if you're asking them that direct question, and they really have to think about, well, what is making me sad? It may be a little bit easier than kind of having it try to come out through a conversation. Um, so I think really asking those direct questions is probably very helpful for people to really have to think about that. Um, right. 
Well, Kai, thank you so much for giving us such a great overview of the program. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, how it's been evaluated so far. Um, so I know that you and your colleagues did a return on investment evaluation, and you looked at a cohort of 89 veterans who had participated in the Warrior Soulmate program. And you found that there was um, decreased inpatient admissions, less um, emergency room visits, and the positive suicide screens went down by 100%. So you had three people screen positive prior to the program, and then it went down to zero after. So uh, why do you think participating in this program um, was decreasing the positive suicide screens? Well, I, you know, I, I think, and, and this is qualitative, you know, there was a 70-year um, a longitudinal study done by Harvard, and it was just released two or three years ago. And they took um, 250, 260 Harvard graduates back 70 years ago. And you know it's a little biased because they were all male at that time. And they followed these, these gentlemen for 70 years and did interventions during that time where they would ask them different questions and so forth. And at the end, toward the end of the study, and these gentlemen are all in, in their later years and retired and so forth, they asked them what made them happy or what, what was important in life. And every one of them said love, relationships. Life, life is about relationships. And, you know, with deployment, uh, often our veterans, even, even those who don't have a, a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, many of them come back with post-traumatic stress symptoms, uh, or just being deployed is stressful on, on relationships. Just being in the military alone, I think, can be very stressful on relationships. And, you know, the other part of that is is that's, you know, a lot of folks, especially during the 911 uh, start in, in uh, Afghan and Iraq, uh, a lot of veterans, I've heard them say, you know, I'm going so, you know, I can take care of my families and protect them, and so this doesn't come to us. And so a lot of, I think, our military people, um, family was kind of the anchor. And then to come back and bring these stresses and the relationship began to struggle and then uh, ultimately dissolve, I think that loss of relationship sometimes can kind of be what we call the final straw. Um, and And so... That's why I think if we can do these interventions like uh, the Warrior Soulmate program, uh, we're giving them new tools. We're putting new tools in, in their relationship. I, I don't think there's a guarantee. I don't think any marriage program had, comes with any guarantees as to where the people will stay together. But often what I've also seen, even though the couple may not stay together, the, the veteran improves, and if they have children, they, they often co-parent better. Uh, even if the relationship itself doesn't uh, maintain. So I, I think it has a lot of preventative factors um, in, in involved in it. And I think if, if nothing else, just helping that veteran find the ability to express those emotions, to find healing from that emotional numbness that they experience with, with post-traumatic stress, that alone I think is, is huge. Yeah, I'm sure like um, going through the program really instills a lot of hope 
in these, um, you know, for the relationship, but also for the veteran as an individual. It sounds right. like, you know, um, even if the relate, like you said, even if the relationship doesn't work out, um, you know, I still think it gives them the skills to, you know, have a healthier relationship in the future or, you know, good relationship with children if they're present. Um, I'm just sure that they're feeling just so much more hopeful after, you know, going through this program. And you, you mentioned earlier that someone told you that not only saved their relationship, but saved their life. And I'm sure that, you know, people, you know, maybe you haven't heard it from other people, but I'm sure that that's happening at, you know, other VAs that have this program. I'm sure people are, are feeling that way. And, um, you know, we usually tend to think of relationships as a protective factor, you know, like you were just discussing that, you know, rebuilding right. that relationship might be helping with their suicide risk. But, um, you know, it can also maybe potentially be a risk factor. So how do you think that these intimate relationships can serve dual purposes as a risk and protective factor for suicide? So how it can be a risk factor. So it's it's real. that's really interesting um, that you bring that up. Um, we've done a little bit of study and so forth, but there was actually a study just completed, um, and I won't give you all the authors, but the, uh, one of the primary authors was Merrick Kopax and, um, and Hugh Crean and Crystal Park and Rainey Hoff, I think, was the, uh, the, the researchers. And they were actually doing a research on religious coping and suicide risk in veterans. But what came out of that, and it actually made uh, the Washington Post, is just a, a little finding that came out of that was that it says another noteworthy finding of this Earth study was that being married or living with a partner significantly increased the probability of being in a higher category of risk. And when I share that with people now, they kind of look at me like, because I think, you know, we, the thought would be, okay, they're probably less risk of suicide because, you know, they've got the family at home and, and you know, they've got that support system and so forth and so on. And, and I think that's true. Um, but I think the higher risk comes is that it, it represents another loss. You know, with trauma... And, and and I think just, again, being in combat, I, you suffer losses. And with trauma particularly, you, you suffer a lot of losses on different levels, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. And if they're in a relationship when they return and that relationship doesn't work out, then that is one more loss. And it's a huge loss, and and I I think that um, uh, that really creates even more risk, uh, and that's kind of what this study found out. That and it's interestingly, it, it was the the veterans who were not in a significant relationship uh, had a lower risk, and that just goes against oh, common you know your common thinking would think you know, logic would be just the opposite, but it's not. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I know, you know, for myself, I, that I'm definitely surprised by that finding that you know being in that in a, in a relationship is a risk factor. But it does make sense that you know even if the relationship maybe they don't lose the relationship, but I'm sure that there's still a sense of a loss of maybe how the relationship has changed since they've come back. Um, you know, it's definitely not going to be the same, especially if they're in combat or you know have multiple deployments. Um, so I can definitely understand how that sense of loss would definitely put people at higher risk for suicide um, and feel like, you know, we talk a little bit 
sometimes people, when they feel like they're a burden to their family or things like that, that can definitely um, increase their risk for suicide as well and ensure some Absolutely. feelings like that exist um, in these relationships. Yeah, I think um, there's, you know, multiple. I think, you know, this is being studied so much because it's such a, a key issue. Um, one of the great goals within the VA is reducing um, uh, suicide among our veterans. And I think there's multiple risk factors, I'm, many, many different risk factors that play into it. But, you know, I, and my passion is if we can help reduce one of those, just, you know, reduce one part of it, then, you know, it's it's all of us working together, you know, from every aspect that, that hopefully we can help our veterans get back to wholeness again. Yeah, and then just hearing you describe all that, it, you know, it definitely seems like the, this program has the potential to address suicide risk in veterans. And is there anything else that you would like to share, either from what you've learned from the return on investment um, report that you did, or anything else that you'd like to share about how um, you think that this could be a, a powerful intervention for suicide? Yeah, you know, I think it, it's it's interesting. You know, is is you think I I think is these these tools that we talk about and the veteran learning to confide. One of the things we also do, we talk about dirty fighting. Um, you know. It, if there's two people left on this earth, there's going to be conflict, right? I mean, that's, yeah. just, that's just the nature of human relationships. So what we really talk about, first we talk about dirty fighting, you know, the things that we do, and sometimes we do them unconsciously, but most of the time we're pretty aware of our dirty fighting, you know, the name-calling, the accusing, the threatening, the sarcasm, et cetera. So we help them identify that, and then we we have a tool that's literally called the Fair Fight for Change. And one of the key subtle things that we're doing through this entire workshop that's really important, important is we help them understand you love this person. What you don't love is the behavior. You know, I have people, I've been doing this for a lot of years with couples, and I have couples come in, and, and you may have heard this couple, uh, one, of, one of the other walk in and say, well, I love them, but I'm not in love. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've all, all heard that. <laughs> yeah, and I just smile and say, well, great. Because if they, you know, I can't help someone love another human being, but I can help them get back that love and feeling. And because <laughs> it, it comes, yeah, a little, little, little top gun there, right? Uh, it, it comes from the behavior. And often, Often where the conflict comes is, is around the behavior. The irritation comes around the behavior. And, and if we can focus on the behavior and stick to one behavior, and again, we, we've already taught them several tools about how one speaks and one listens, and then they and we also talk about how to negotiate. So if they can begin to uh, figure out how to resolve and have success around some of their, their disagreements and, and around things that are causing one or the other partner to experience pain in the relationship, um, then they can move back to that pleasure side of the relationship. Uh, and and I, I, you know, I think that's huge. Uh, I think that the other part of that is, is if the veteran is struggling with other mental health issues, particularly post-traumatic stress and uh, I think if they get the intimate partnership back to where they're feeling that bonding and are experiencing that openness 
that emotional openness, that physical closeness, I think that gives them maybe extra support. I, I think it would give them an extra sense of hope. So just learning how to negotiate and, and work through some of the difficulties that might feel pretty overwhelming uh, uh, to the veteran at the time. Yeah, and we definitely know um, feelings of hopelessness is a significant risk factor for suicide. So I think that there's so many components of this program that have been shown to really improve, you know, not only the relationship, but just, you know, veterans functioning individually, um, which, you know, if they're, you know, feeling bad about themselves, I'm sure they're feeling like they're better partners as well. So, you know, we talked a lot about how, you know, this program can really help improve those relationships and the, and the skills that are learned. But um, I know you and your colleagues um, wrote a paper about um, um, implementation and sustainability of this program, which is also really important. So we, we know it's helpful and it, and it has good results, but, you know, how do we implement and sustain it? Um, and you know that you guys found that the program has many positive aspects. It's meeting those unmet needs of veterans by expanding the services to the veterans' partners. Um, but there's a lot of systemic challenges that may impact the implementation of this and sustainability of it. So could you be able to describe, you know, what resources a medical center may need to implement and sustain this program? Sure, I'm really glad you asked that because, yeah, we did an early study. Uh, I'm really thrilled right now because uh, we are, we've got some real interest from uh, um, the Merit and Vision 2 about collecting more data, which I think will be helpful in sustainability. Um, the uh, national education system is working with me right now. We're actually working to create a virtual train the trainer. Uh, my goal is to put trainers in every visit, so we have two or three trainers uh, who can train facilitators to facilitate this for veterans. So that's kind of exciting to me right now because then we get it down to the vision level um, and, and ultimately down to the medical center level. Um, when we get it to that level, um, right now the cost is, is really pretty pretty simple because uh, we have some training units that we've already purchased and uh, I just did a training out in um, Reno, Nevada last week, and literally all it cost that facility was my travel back and forth uh, for them to set up this program. This isn't a really a high-cost program. So um, in the future, probably the two things that, that will be cost uh, will be the certification itself, which is around $500. And then every participant who comes, uh, so the couple, each one, uh, get a participant workbook and then a set of wallet cards with all the tools on them. And that's about $35 a couple. And, I mean, that's, uh, that's relatively cheap. And, and then the only other cost, uh, there's an accreditation uh, at $50 a trainer uh, or a facilitator that, that the, the uh, medical center would maintain. And then, of course, you have to figure in the FTE, you know, for the time, uh, the two days or two and a half days or mm -hmm. whatever that the that the clinicians are are involved in actually leading the couples through these workshops. But you know, I, I, if life is about relationships, and I think it is, and how important that is, uh, I always say to to uh, to some of the executive folks, I said, uh, well, let's compare one of these workshops to the cost of a MRI. Yeah, it's a lot less than an MRI. 
A whole lot less. You can do a lot of these workshops for one MRI. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not making any less. We know how important the MRIs are to our mm-hmm. health and well-being, and, and they save lives daily, and, and that's huge. But really, when you put this program back and, and really how it does impact, and, you know, we're, we're starting to talk in the VA about, and I love it, we're talking about whole health, right? And so it is the psychosocial, spiritual. We can't really talk about holistic or whole health unless we say biopsychosocial, spiritual, and 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 I think relationships really begin to hit kind of that spiritual side because it's about meaning and purpose and you know why am I here and what do I live for and 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 you know um, happy people are healthy people. Very true. Um. So I know the goal, you know, hopefully, um, I know you'd, you'd like to see the Warriors Homemade program expand to, you know, every VA, and it seems like hopefully that, that would be possible. Um, but, you know, if a VA currently doesn't have that, um, so if a provider working in a VA that doesn't have the program yet, do you have any advice for clinicians working with veterans who um, may be experiencing challenges in their marriages or relationships? Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, again, and, and I, I, I think this is probably probably true. Um, I think every facility probably has a mental health provider that at least has some experience. There's a lot of uh, LCSWs and even psychologists who've done marital work. So, you know, I think referring back to mental health and and finding out what's within the mental health department and and maybe being a little more intentional in that. But also, um, you know, some of these tools are actually available on the PAIRS website. Um, so I would encourage maybe clinicians to uh, to go to the PAIRS website and see where some of these tools may be available, that they can probably uh, use those um, right off the website or refer couples to, to go to that website. Um, but like you say, our goal is really, and, and I think we're getting closer to it, I think we um, uh, we have been in about uh, uh, 68 facilities um, some, you know, how programs go. Some are more active than others right now. Um, but my goal is to keep pushing until this is uh, available in, in every facility. Yeah, that'd be so wonderful. And we can definitely put a link to the PAIRS um, materials um, that you can access. And then um, we'll also put, I know you provided us with the Word Islamic Program Support Guide, so we can put links, um, you know, from this podcast there so people can access that and, and you know, get some tools that they might be able to use in their practice if, if um, you know they don't have this program at their VA, I think the video link too. I, I think hopefully you got to watch that five-minute video, but that really captures the heart of, of you know that's veterans talking about what the weekend uh, workshops are doing for them, and you know that's the proof is in the pudding, and and so uh, I think that link. I hope you'll get that up, and, and so folks can kind of see that and get a little more material, and then ultimately what I would say to facilities. Um, give me a call. Give should drop me an email. Uh, national coordinator. I will do all that I can to uh, help you establish this program and and have a successful program for your veterans. Thank you so much for your time, and we really appreciate your time today. Um, do you have any closing remarks or anything else you'd like to um, you know talk about today about the Warriors Soulmate program? No, I, I just, you know, I appreciate your time and, and as much as we, you know, continue to get this out to all of our partners within the VA, um, if you would like to, you can send this podcast to our new secretary, that would be fine, or to our active secretary. <laughs> um, but no, we, we, you know, I think just people continue to just share the word and um, uh, just 
just keep working at this and, and realizing that, that suicide uh, is a big issue and, and that we all can, uh, each one of us and each one of our disciplines and what we bring to the table, I think if we all just continue to, to work together and, and uh, collaborate together, I think we can put the tools out there really to make a difference for our veterans uh, around the issues of suicide and uh, intimate partner violence, uh, which can often lead to, to homicide. Um, I think we can make a difference in the healing of our veterans. And at the end of the day, you know, that's why, that's why we serve in the VA. That's what it's all about. Definitely, and I, am, I really appreciate you sharing, you know, all of your valuable knowledge about this program, and I definitely think it can um, provide so many, you know, positive aspects for veterans, and hopefully, um, you know, it will be in every VA one day. That's definitely our hope as well, and um, so thank you again, and um, that's Welcome. it that we have for our Rocky Mountain Short Takes podcast today. Um, we really appreciate you for listening. Uh, listeners, you can learn more about the Warrior Soulmates by clicking the links accompanying this podcast. Um, you can also reach out to us if you have any comments or questions about what we discussed today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, give us a review, and share with colleagues. And join us next time for more interviews on important work in suicide prevention. 